Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, last time we just had a conversation about an example that happened in my life with, with a snowstorm. And ironically, during that same point, I was um, going through a pretty lengthy book uh, about John Paul II. Because when we were in Rome... We're not well, not well. When we were in D.C. for the March for Life, within walking distance of the major cathedral in D.C. is a giant. I, I don't know. Chapel's the right word. Museum's the right word. But a big collection. There's a chapel in it. Um, but a big collection of John Paul II. Um, I'm forgetting the exact name of it. It might be called the John Paul II Shrine. But regardless, it, it's got. Um, it's the story of his life in, in a lot of different ways, set up similar to a to a museum in some regards. So I go through that. It's like, all right, let, let's let's. I never read a book about John Paul II before. Let's let's dive into one, see something out there, and you know he's had a very fascinating life. He he lived under two brutal totalitarian governments um, that really didn't respect anything about anything. Um, at the end of the day, except for ultimately their own personal governmental agendas suppressed everything below them to the highest degree you could. And he came out of it on the other side, better off. Um, part of it was he became a priest when religion was outlawed. He did that all underground. Um, cause communism wanted to snuff out all religion. It was part of their agenda. So you know, all that stuff's going on and, and there, and, this brings a whole bunch of thoughts about this. Um, you know, what are we to do whenever we're facing um, true evil? Now, I know someone parking your parking spice is not true evil, and this is where these two examples kind of diverge from the last cast. But in preparation and the buildup for World War II, I know that the Pope released um, three different encyclicals, one essentially condemning the racism built up in Germany and fascism. Um, one directly to the Italian people about don't become fascists. And then a universal one to the world about the evils of communism. And like the direct saying that this is evil and this is wrong and, you know, open your hearts to not be part of it was at least from my reading of, of those, how it kind of, was presented itself. Um, well, first off, is is that an accurate interpretation of the starting point? So at least we're to know if I'm even going down the right direction before before we kind of begin here. Um, yeah, and I'm not a, a history major, so I, I don't know uh, all those dimensions, and I, I don't have those encyclicals of Pius the Twelfth memorized either, so. I can't uh, speak authoritatively about all of that, but um, certainly John Paul II uh, was under the Nazi regime. He was in seminary underground, essentially, because mm -hmm. the Nazi occupation of Poland prevented uh, anything from happening there. And then under the communists, just following the war, um, actually, I guess he was seminary underground because of the communists. Um, Anyway, see, my history is all muddled together, but, but certainly under the Nazi oppression on the one hand and then the communist oppression on the other hand, suffered a, a great deal 
and Pius XII certainly did speak out in, in different ways, wrote to the Germans, mit Brennen des Orga, who's the first uh, encyclical uh, written in, not in Latin, I think, um, in German to the German people and, and calling forth German Catholics, but also very careful not to uh, increase the, the persecution of the Catholic Church in Germany. And so, um, anyway, there's a lot of things going on there. Yeah, and, and well, that's one of the themes. That, the, the reason that this author brought that up was um, later on in John Paul's life, that was one of the themes that he didn't want to increase problems was essentially after he and the rest of the global community essentially realized who was responsible for his him getting shot, he didn't want to make that publicly known because he didn't want that to be the the shot that caused World War Three, that made the the Cold War hot because that was still in the eighties. You know that was still um, you know a lot of a lot of those tensions that we kind of forget about were way real then, realer. Um, so I bring that up for a bunch of reasons. Is that over the last I don't know, month or so of our last couple of casts here, we've been talking about just evil without directly ever saying it, but, but from the conversations about abortion and, and, you know, other things that are going on in the world, we see that the popes have put out messages in the past in their encyclicals to help us not go down that road, to go down the road, to resist evil and to identify it and to be better off. But it seems like they don't get a lot of publicity in the in the way that they ought to for the significance of their message. So I asked this kind of without really knowing the answer. Have there been messages recently that we should be shouting out more to to acknowledge the fact that there's evil out there and and what we should do about it? Um you know, so so I ask this because because you seem to be way more in touch, probably because of the fact that you're a priest and I'm not, with the message that are coming out of out of the Vatican and from the Pope. So I just wanted to see if there's anything out there that we really need to focus on because I do know we did that series on Humana Vitae um, earlier on, but that was from the '60s, and that's basically asking if we have have some someone since then that that addressed the. Uh, the current world as far as now. Yeah, in fact, Humana Vitae was uh, exactly 50 years ago, 1968, the 50th anniversary coming up in this, this July, and a message that still has been so unheeded. So I guess it's uh, it's part of the thing that there, there are a lot of messages that are, are ultimately applications of the gospel. It's not uh, I know this isn't what you're intending, but it's important for our listeners to understand that it's not like we have this um, worldly leader who uh, calls us to a certain, you know, uh, call at arms, uh, call to action that we then have to implement in some way. Uh, the Pope in his preaching office, in his prophetic office, tries to shine a light on areas in which our human hearts and human society have gone dark. And uh, there are a lot of different elements of that that we can focus on. Certainly the, the call to 
respect life is crucial, uh, is a burning question. You encountered this museum, uh, the John Paul II Cultural Center, I think is what it's called, ah. uh, when you were at the March for Life. Uh, the March for Life is a critical issue, and we can get tired of it in a way because it seems like we do try to do so much, and there's so little that happens. For the last 45 years, the, our country has aborted over a million babies every year, and it's still happening, and in some ways worse, the chemical abortions are harder to count, and there are maybe even more. The surgical abortions may be going down slightly, but the chemical abortions are increasing in ways that we're not aware of, not to mention the abortions caused by the birth control pill, uh, which is an abortifacient. So there are those crucial issues that the popes have cried out about for the last 50 years in a very pronounced way, and that go all the way back to the first century of the church, the Didache, the, the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, indicated the evil of abortion. You know, it's something that we're constantly fighting. And again, the you know, to focus on a, a few recent points that, that Pope Francis has made, he really talks about the way that evil is rooted in our whole economic system. As he says, our economics have been twisted around the economy as such. Think of any time and space, and not just America, or not just South America, or not just communist Russia, or whatever, mm -hmm. but economy by definition is really about the human person. It's focused on the human person, and you have money and trade and a lot of other things, but for the sake of the human person. The ultimate goal of the economy is the universal distribution of goods so that everybody has what they need. That's justice, that everybody has what they need. And then we apply certain ways of doing that, ways that God provides uh, things directly to people. He provides things through families. He provides things through employment. He provides things through government, and we try to, you know, we can't micromanage that whole process, so we try to, try to set things up in a certain fluid quality so that ultimately all of the necessary things flow to all of the people who have needs, and that gets stopped up at different places and different power interests, you know, push and, and move and shift, and anyway, there's meant to be a fluid process in that, but Pope Francis has identified the way that instead of focusing on the human person and the and ultimately human needs everybody's human needs not just you know some poor class or some unemployed or something like that but everybody's human needs instead of focusing that on that we focus on money and that the the current economy is is focused on money and everything serves money money has become the end of the economy and it's a it's a distortion and that leads to a lot of other uh, grievous things in, in the way that we treat the poor, in the way that we treat the environment, in the way that we sacrifice children on the altar of more money. How many cries for abortion have been in order that you know women can work or that women can have this, this liberation that they don't need to be punished with a child? You know, These kinds of things are tied around that, uh, that dimension of money. So Pope Francis has shined a light on a particular element that can't be applied 
kind of uh, thoughtlessly. It, it requires a little bit of subtlety and to reflect on how our whole economic system is uh, is run. And we see this also in terms of the, the commodity of of individuals. Pope Francis has has cried out about immigration that people in the in the best sense, you know, people are are seeking a better opportunity in another place, fleeing from violence, fleeing from drugs, fleeing from uh, a, a lack of opportunity. And that's something that we have to be attentive to. Now, again, for various reasons, we uh, there are a lot of interests that focus on either national security or focus on protecting what we have, and so it creates a certain barrier. Now, the answer in all of these things, again, they're very they're subtle issues, and so you can't just say yes, immigration, no immigration. You know, it's like, well, no, there are human persons involved in this, and and those situations need to be considered, but. Uh, those are very real things that we're considering. We tend to reduce them to political issues, and then we line up on sides, and it's my guy against you know your guy, mm -hmm. and uh, that just distorts the whole issue. There's a whole lack of of subtlety and thinking and reflection that you know is there something uh, some way that we can handle this and with justice and charity uh, rather than just sort of flat categories. And then Pope Francis has also called our attention to the environment. Again, in a different way, the kind of liberal agenda for the environment that wants to, you know, protect the baby whales and kill the baby humans, that sort of distorted slogan that uh, Pope Francis sees the environment as another side effect of our general selfishness, our worship of money, and our disregard for other human beings. As he says in a very simple way, the first victims of a damaged environment are the poor. The poor are the ones who suffer the most. And we don't think about that when we, you know, dump oil into the river or when we uh, pollute the air or when we strip mine uh, whole forests or when we destroy, anyway, you know, on and on. The, um, so, so those are those are some issues that he's drawn our attention to, and again, there tends to be such a strong reaction because it sounds like, oh, Pope Francis is anti-capitalist, pro-environment, and pro-immigration. He must be a Democrat. Like, no, he doesn't have any of these categories. First of all, he's not running for American political office. Yeah. <laughs> but second of all, the the reasons for this are really the the reasons of the gospel, which are a care for the poor and to protect the defenseless and to provide injustice, the, the needs that every human being has a right to, and that all happens through a respect also for the gift of creation. And uh, all of these areas tend to expose a certain hardness in our own hearts. So um, anyway, those are just throwing a lot of stuff out there. You asked a, sure. a very broad question, but Not, a few thoughts. That, that's perfect. So... Um... So first off, you're never going to get subtlety from a 126-character tweet. Um, it's impossible. So yeah. I, I think that, uh, that that and, you know, the whole concept of most of what deemed social media is, I mean, not to go through all of them, but you have a single picture with five words on it as a meme. You're not getting subtlety out of that. You know, you're you're not getting subtlety out of, out of your, your Facebook status or anything like that. So... I can definitely see how the branding of it, it goes, 
um, much deeper than the than way you just said about him running for office because uh, he's not. He's he's the Pope. <laughs> so he's already better than what the president ever could be. So that being said, the capitalism one it makes makes sense to me because I think that the way that the vast majority of people that I have interacted with Again, I know that's anecdotal evidence, but the vast majority of them look at it as I'm building up a retirement or this stack of money, regardless of how it is, for a family need. Whether that need be uh, my kids won't have to worry about taking care of me when I'm old. You know, I'll be able to to to, to fund the nursing care, or whatever it is, or whether it be you want to go out and have fun. You know, you go out with your wife and, you know, you go on vacation or whatever. Um, but for for human needs therein, and I think that there's a general thought, and now this might be part of the subtlety that's wrong, but is that if everyone as an individual is taking care of their own family, if enough people did that collectively, the process would help itself. Because you going out... And you buying something, regardless of what that something is, required someone else to do work to either do that service or good. So therefore, that guy got employed because of it. By your purchase of you know, that cheeseburger, you helped the guy on the farm who grew the cow. You helped the guy on the farm who grew the wheat. You helped the guy who built the actual place you bought the burger at. Um, the guy who built the computer software that your order was taken through, and probably a hundred other people that you helped in one small way. So in that regards, there's no way he could be inherently saying that capitalism is wrong because capitalism just helped all of those people. But I can definitely see the other side of it wherever you're sacrificing the human element for just more money. And I think that that gets pointed out more in the culture because overall it's rare. And the reason it's ultimately rare to have someone who's only out for money to win it is you can't really build a good business that way. You can take over a good business and destroy it that way. But you cannot create a good business from the start if it's only for profit. It is, in practice of actually doing it, virtually impossible. But again, you could take over a company that's already been successful and gut it for money. Um, You see that a lot of times, and that's why when it does happen, it's such a big deal. Um, uh, The new ownership group, the new CEO wants to fire all these people that you know made the company what it was just so that they can have a better earnings report. Um, you, you, there's a lot of examples that have done that. Um, so, But you cannot create something from the start. And that's, I guess, what I was trying to get at, having been someone who's building a business, that there is a, a big subtle nuance, but when someone does destroy their company for profits – it tends to be a big media sensation. And I think part of it is because it's not all that common um, at the end of the day. Because if your starting point is you just want to make money, you'll never grow. 
I've always believed that, and I've, I've seen it firsthand. Um, I, I, I've declined partners to be with to join the, the, the firm because I felt that that's all they were in it for, and you just see it. So um, that, I guess that that's, that's my thought on it. Um, and as far as the environment goes, I think that what a lot of people do to that is say, either A, they discount the whole equation altogether, or B, they say, well, I have no control over the guys down in Brazil tearing down the Amazon rainforest. What am I going to do? I can't do anything. So they just kind of discount it. And it's either the problem is so small it's not on your radar or it's so big it's overwhelming and you just don't want to deal with it. And that's been kind of my observation as well on that. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know how you address the – aside from taking care of your own – stuff i don't know how you address the the environment part you know i i do believe in not wasting um but that ties into to both of those you know if you're if you're not going out and buying frivolous things that you're not taking care of and keeping you and you are taking care of it you don't need to buy it again so the effort that went into it doesn't need to be duplicated for yourself so i don't know if any of that made sense but that that's kind of you shooting those at me, kind of my thoughts on it, because just, you know, my, my, my initial reaction. I have no idea if that's justified or not, but part of this cast was what does the average everyday person think of this? And that what there, there you go. That was the two cents. Well, I think that if you just look at economic issues, for example, and the environment, we would still be dumping a lot of sludge into rivers, and uh, Pittsburgh would still be a hazy uh, place where you had to have the streetlights on in the middle of the day if there weren't regulations imposed, because it was not financially profitable to develop scrubbers and to have more responsible waste management and to uh, limit it, limit production in such a way that, you know, whatever it can be. I don't know how all of the, the cleanup measures work. But sure. the point is that capitalism did not drive environmentalism. Uh, somebody else, you know, uh, an external government source that decided this is a good idea, passed regulations and forced the environmentalism. And uh, to go back to your example about, you know, buying a burger helps everybody in that process. That's true if there's a just price and a just wage. Uh, if economics has driven it so that the worker doesn't have the authority to negotiate a wage because, well, this is the wage you're going to get, or you can just not work at all, then it forces them to accept less than a just wage. And uh, likewise with the commodity, if there's a level of uh, whatever it is, a level of monopoly or other things that have that have driven it. Again, I'm not an economist, so mm -hmm. I don't know all of the the details of of how these things work. But it's not hard to imagine that you can put pressure on things to drive down prices. And what's the outcome? The outcome is that people are getting crushed under this, and money is getting optimized. And that's the whole distortion of the economic system, where you trade people for money mm -hmm. and 
the things that you said about people not making money if they're out to make money. Well, there are a lot of people who have a lot of money who oh, are out to make a lot of money. Sure. So, no, the, the, unfortunately, capitalism doesn't have an internal corrective that prevents the exploitation of people for the sake of money from happening. And so it needs an external corrective. And again, whether that's government or whether that's conscience, that's reinforced by preaching or you know whatever, but there needs to be that external corrective. Uh, so th- well, those are. It does actually. It's just slow. It's it's not as fast as people would like it. And and, and to that regard, that's that's what I was trying to say about the rare of it. The ones that do destroy things for money, they get super super rich. But there's a lot of super rich people who did not exploit people to get there. And I guess that that's part of what I'm trying to articulate is that. Just by accomplishing the concept of wealth does not mean that you destroyed sure, people along the way. But there are the the big stories are the ones that do do that, do it a lot. Um, so, but to, to answer your thing, I'm not definitely not saying that you can't you can live your life without regulations. But I can also say that inevitably, uh, what would have happened was, and, and this is true with any of it, as long as you have multiple and not monopolies basically that's what i'm trying to say as long as you don't have one employer who can control everything and this is why communism falls um because it's one it's government says this is what you do this is what you get deal with it and every time you have a situation like that regardless of where it is people suffer you know you need to have a variety of places you can work for your personal individual freedom because you need to have this thing to say, all right, I'm working at company A. They're not treating me well enough. There needs to be a company B or C that you can see if that would be a better fit for you um, because there's that. that's just the way it is. And, and economies need that. That's why monopolies and too big to fail are bad things always. Um, the more you get to less people, less options, the worse it is for everyone involved. And that's that's a thing. Well, in a, in a simple way, you're saying that labor needs power. And the power to switch companies is one form of power. Uh, it, Pope Leo XIII, with his encyclical Rerum Novarum, supported and uh, pushed forward the empowerment of labor uniting in terms of unions Mm -hmm. and unions became a very powerful force to stand against the kind of thing, not only polluting the air in Pittsburgh and the, uh, the rivers, but also just throwing away people in whatever in mills and mines. And so labor uniting in unions to stand against capital became a, a key factor. Now that's taken its own interesting courses and, uh, your your point is, well, another way that labor has power is through being able to shop around. And that kind of mobility is uh, is available, maybe not for everybody. And uh, those who have a, a little bit more confidence or have a little more capacity to search for other positions, maybe have a little bit more freedom to use their, their power and can probably drive up their own wages and can wait for a better offer. Um, but anyway, just the, the point being, 
you know, ha having some way to empower labor to stand against capital is a key factor in making in ensuring that capitalism remains a just form of economy. Yes, and on that note, from what you just said to every listener out there, I know I've said this before. I'll say it again: save up six months worth of wages. That's what gives you the power to go to your boss and say, you're not treating me right. If you don't fix this, I'm leaving. And you actually would be able to, um, you know, th there's a lot of strength in that. Not to mention it also is if something goes wildly wrong, you have the ability to absorb it. Um, so I definitely recommend that. Um, but here in modern times, they're not the way they originally were intended. Um, in their own right, unions have become monopolies in their own regards if you look at the medical instance you cannot join a medical facility without being a member of their union and arguably they have the worst abuses of them of anyone out there they have to work 12 hour shifts all the time not knowing what their schedule is going to be being on call and all that um just because that's the way that it is now what if there were two nurses unions, a red one and a green one? Say, I, 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 all right, red one, you fought for these terms. I'd rather do the six hours of week but work six days a week. So I'm going to go join the green union. See, and that's what I'm saying. The, the more options there are, the better it is for everyone inherently. Um, and also, the more options there are, that means – there's more people making decisions over less people. Um, you know, you get one giant conglomerate makes decisions for the entire health system. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have the greatest results. You might have great results if that guy's good, but if that guy's not good, you're going to bring a lot of people down and have a lot of people suffer. So that being said, um, uh, little tidbit on, on the economics there. I do thank everyone for, for listening to the cast here today. Uh, please continue to subscribe and give us the reviews that you have been. Um, again, we'll be releasing our answers on Twitter at Father and Joe. Please retweet us to continue to spread the word. Have a great week, everyone, and thank you.